But the general idea, the big picture, is that each step of the funnel is only should only be about getting them to the next step. Got it. Do you want to impact the world and still turn a profit? Then you're in the right place. Welcome to Growth Everywhere. This is the show where you'll find real conversations with real entrepreneurs. They'll share everything from their biggest struggle to the exact strategies they use on a daily basis. So if you're ready for a value-packed interview, listen on. Here's your host, Eric Sue. How many of you have experienced making a bad hire or had bad hires on your team? I personally lost over $840,000 on just one bad hire alone. So that's why I'm doing a free class called the five secrets to avoiding bad hires that can cost you $50,000 plus each. All you need to do is to text bad hire, spell it out, B-A-D-H-I-R-E to 33444. That's double three, triple four, and you'll be registered. I'll see you there. Hello, everyone. Welcome to this week's edition of Growth Everywhere, where we interview entrepreneurs and bring you business and personal growth tips. Today, we have John McIntyre, who is the founder of reengager.com, which helps businesses convert more leads with behavioral reengagement campaigns. John, how are you doing today? I'm very good, Eric. How are you? I'm good, man. Thanks for being on the show. Why don't you talk a little bit about your background and then what you do and uh, what exactly behavioral reengagement campaign means? <laughs> all right, all right. I'm from. Uh... I'm for, originally from Sydney, Australia, but I left there about four years ago to move to the Philippines and take up the uh, basically become the marketing director for a resort there. And I did that for a year and decided that I needed to you know get off and do my own thing and and uh, launch something my own. So I started a marketing agency that uh, grew pretty quickly into a uh, I guess a boutique email marketing agency where I had clients in Australia and the U.S. Uh, you know a couple in Europe around the world basically. And uh, over time, I uh, realized that. What people needed was wasn't just emails. Uh, it wasn't just you know straight order responding because that's definitely what I was offering when I first you know got started. What people really needed was customers. That was you know the main outcome they you know they were looking for when they came to me. So I you know came up with this idea of behavioral reengagement campaigns. And the whole idea there is that uh, in everyone's funnel of business, or you know it could be in their website, it could be in how they you know call up on the phone. People have certain behaviors, and I found that uh, you know if you could you know if you could target a campaign based on how they you know behaved within your funnel or in your sales process, you could actually get a lot better results than just sending out you know straight emails with a you know say a ten email or a twenty email autoresponder. So that's where the behavioral part of it comes in. The re-engagement side of it, that's where you know in any typical business could be you know a real estate agent, could be online. You know you've got people coming in and they're getting a certain amount of you know leads or you know inquiries every month. And usually most you know especially traditional businesses they're spending you know you know thousands tens of thousands sometimes hundreds of thousands of dollars to get those inquiries and a lot of businesses will call them twice and they never call them again and if maybe if they're if they're like transition a little bit into the 21st century they might have a newsletter the problem is most newsletters suck because they stay look and they sound like they're coming from a business, they just don't work. I've spoken to companies where their open rate on a newsletter is you know you know one percent, two percent, and it's ridiculous. Um, and then the other side of it is it's not targeted at all. So you've got you know prospects who are getting a newsletter that's really probably better suited for customers and vice versa. So what I do is I help companies create uh, uh, you know number one is is look at the basically create targeted campaigns for people based on whether that's we're talking prospects. Customers, you might have investors in, say, a real estate office, but also then we can look at, well, how do they behave on the website? If they visit this page, let's send them this campaign. If they visit our you know, contact page and they don't contact us, let's send them a campaign that says, hey, we noticed you visited that contact page, but you didn't email us. What's going on? Hit reply and let us know. 
And so we can create these these campaigns that are targeted um, extremely well based on their behavior. So it you know, creates these amazing results. Got it. Okay. And one thing I forgot to tell everyone that you, know, you do have this podcast called the Email Marketing Podcast, and everybody needs to listen to that if they're interested in email marketing because it's by far the best one I've I've ever heard of. It just it's just not it doesn't it doesn't people just haven't talked about it much, and I think it's it's going to continue to grow. So thanks for putting that out there. No worries. I, I uh, it's it's yeah I've had a blast doing it. We've got 105 episodes up right now, and it's um, when I started I never thought it would grow into what it is now, but it's. it's it's fun, man. It's very casual. It's it's blown me away how much people appreciate the. Well, it's not really casual in a bad way, but I mean, like, um, I don't have a script. I don't, I don't follow like a standard set of questions. It's much more of a conversation. And sometimes it falls flat, and sometimes it works really well. But uh, it seems like it's worked out alright. Well, it's it's helpful because I mean, at the same time, you know, you have your questions, and it helps you to, to a selfish degree. When I do these, it's, it's almost to help myself sometimes. But it just when you put it out there, it helps everyone else. So it's funny how it works. Um, okay, so mm. let's let's talk about. Um, the before we talk about that, I mean, let, let's talk about some marquee clients that you've helped out with uh, these reengagement campaigns. Can you talk about some? Sure, sure. So yeah, a client. Uh, I mean, a client right now that we're working with is is in the. I don't know. If I can talk about is uh, the market that is in. But basically, is in the exercise or the fitness. You know, one of the fitness markets, a very niche market there. And right now, they've got one product they're selling for. You know, I think it's about thirty bucks a month. And so, you know, if you visit the site, you can sign up for $30 a month. It's very, you know, straightforward, very simple. There's not really much of a funnel. Um, so what we did, you know, what we're doing right now, actually, is we're coming in and we're setting up, you know, basically turning the, their, you know, very simple sales process right now into more of a funnel. And so looking at, like, number one, people, are, you know, most people don't want to spend $30 a month from the get-go. They really want, they'd rather spend, you know, say $5, $10, $20 once off. And then when they're convinced, when they've been sold and, you know, they trust you and they've been sold on the idea that you're amazing, they're much more likely to go and pay 30 bucks a month for a continuity program. That's what we call it. So what we're doing is we're setting up a funnel where you visit the site and if you don't buy the $30 a month, you get a pop-up for three free videos. You sign up for the three free videos. The next page, you're going to get an offer for a $100 product, but it's going to be $17 for 20 minutes. If you buy it there, you get an upsell for the $30 a month program. Okay. Now, if you don't buy the, if you don't buy the $17 product, uh, you will go into, you know, after 20 minutes, you'll go into a sequence, which will be about 10, 15 emails, and uh, it's basically, the price will go back up to $100 automatically, and then we'll just start giving you tips and great information, there'll be some free videos in there, of course, and then at the end of it, once you've seen uh, the price being $97 for about two weeks, we're going to drop the price back down automatically again to, uh, you know, $17 for another four days, and it's going to be, you know, time-sensitive and everything, so it's, we found, that I've found, you know, I'm running this campaign right now in my own funnel where, you know, you create that, that price, that, you know, price thing at the start, give them a discount and make them jack the price back up and they see that it's actually really expensive. And then when you bring it down again at the end, you get some really uh, um, great results. We're in the process of setting that up. If they buy that but they don't buy the, buy the, uh, the membership, they'll go in another sequence which is, you know, solely designed to get them to, to, to buy this $29 a month program. So and then there will also be campaigns for if someone visits the sales page but they don't buy – we're going to put them in this campaign that says, hey, we noticed you visited our sales page, but you didn't buy. Why not? And when I say the email, like the email will literally be probably pretty close to that. Like some of these emails can be, some not all of them, but some of those behavioral emails can be really simple. The most important thing is that you're hitting someone's behavior, um, you know, real time, not so much that, you know, it's a 400-word email with amazing copy. Got it. Okay. Now the back, it sounds like, first of all, just to clarify, it sounds like it's all about, you know, you get it, get them into the front end. It's almost okay to break even, sometimes even lose money. And it sounds like it's all about the back end. Is that right? 
it's a hundred percent about the back end. It's like look at a lot of company. Basically, I mean, like Amazon, for example. Amazon's a billion dollar company. Now, Amazon's Jeff Bezos, 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 whatever his name is, the CEO. He's famous for saying something to the effect of, "Our uh, your margin is my, you know my opportunity." So. Because they're willing, because Amazon knows how much people spend. They have so much data, but they know how much people are going to spend over the lifetime of their relationship with Amazon, which I imagine it's, it's ridiculous, whatever they're spending. And so they know that some companies will collect the, the margin, that, you know, the gross margin or the net margins as a profit and pocket it and go away. What, what, he'll, he's, what they're doing at Amazon, they'll sacrifice that margin so they can spend more to acquire a customer. That allows them to spend more than their competitors. They can acquire more customers and grow their business faster and bigger. So if You've got ten competitors in a market, and you know one can spend ten dollars. You know one makes ten dollars per customer, one makes fifty dollars, one makes seventy-five dollars, and one makes two hundred dollars per customer. That the person who spends, who makes, who's making two hundred dollars per customer, he can outspend every single other competitor in that niche in that market because he's making more money per person. Which means that when it comes to buying traffic or buying, you know, it could be, it could be radio spots, billboards, no matter what marketing medium, he's going to be able to outspend every single other person in that market, and uh, you know, even lose. Lose money on that first sale because he knows that even if you sell something for say seventeen dollars, he knows that that person is going to spend five, you know, two hundred dollars. You said over the lifetime of that uh, that customer, so he you can lose as much money as you want, like up to two hundred dollars on that front end, and still make money. Right, and so when, let's let, let's you know use a real life example. Let's just say you know I'm a technology startup, you know I'm a software as a service company. You know, I just got funded three million dollars from my Series A, and there's so much stuff flying around. Right, we're working on the product. We might have product market fit. We're growing. Um, when is it the right time to start focusing on the back end? Because if you start focusing too early on it, you're not going to get you know as good returns. So when do you think is the right time? I'd say it'd be somewhere after you get hit that product market fit. If we're talking startups. You want to be. You know, I was reading a bit about this the other day. It's relevant. I think this this the whole product market fits idea relevant to anyone in business, not just tech startups. But I'd be I'd be putting all your effort towards product market fit first. But once that hits, then you like uh, leverage points to optimize. So. Because that's partly what this is, is when you're adding these back-end campaigns and looking for ways to make more money on the back-end, you're really optimizing what you already have. So if you don't have something that's already working, it's not going to do that much. But if you have something that's great, an amazing product that people love, and that's a, you know, if you're talking a SaaS product, the, you know, your, your churn rate's very, very low, you know, people are staying for a long time, like that's all, that's a great position to be in. So where email comes in is, it could be the back-end of bringing in, I mean, I mean in this case, if you're talking a SaaS company, like a tech company, people pay 50 bucks a month. For the for the software, where the email uh, in that case becomes, or the, you know, these campaigns become really useful, is that essentially every month you're making a sale all over again. So the longer you can, you know, keep someone on board, the longer they're going to keep paying you the money. So their lifetime value goes, you know, fifty, a hundred, hundred fifty, just keeps going up and up and up and up. So I'd say once you have the product and it's working, I'd be using email, maybe even to develop it in tandem, because the email what you can use is you can use it to help someone, you know, get engaged and onboard into the product. If they even set up their profile. After you know three days, send them an email and tell them to set, set up their profile. And you can do this with some of the software platforms out there, um, and that's that behavioral aspect. We can look at why if they have visited this page, send them this email. If they've visited this page but they haven't visited that page, we'll send them this campaign. Um, so I'd say yeah, product market fit first, and then start optimizing it after that. Got it. Okay. I know in the startup world, you know, everyone is talking about intercom.io. That's the that's the quote unquote marketing automation or, or customer automation tool there. Um, so, what other tools do you recommend for people that are starting out? Uh, there's another one called customer.io, which okay. uh, so both. I think that's very similar to intercom. I'm not sure. I haven't I haven't used either of them just because uh, you know software's not my thing, not right now. Mm-hmm. But they're both very similar platforms. You can do this with a lot of. 
Uh, get Vero, I think is another one. Right. Um, I use get I use get drill. It's called drip, but the site's uh, so you got get Vero g e t v e r o dot com uh, is a good one. I think those guys are Australian too, so that must be amazing. Um, <laughs> then you've got drip. I use drip right now. Drip's more of a imagine if you think Aweber or uh, you know Mailchimp, but it's just a more advanced version of that. It's been built properly. Interesting. Uh, you know, from the ground up with. Um, some of the advanced, like you can, any event, anything that someone does on your website or in your app, you can use that to trigger an event in Drip. So I'm not sure how Drip would compare to intercom or customer.io. Uh-huh. Uh, Sounds very similar. You, you can, yeah, I mean, you can go in there and like you have campaigns. You, you, so basically, it's a tag based system. You want to have a thousand subscribers. They can be on one campaign or five campaigns, however many you want. When you go into your automation section, you can say, you know, if someone, basically, if someone does this, whether it's visiting a page, clicks a link, triggers an event. So, you know, you can be using an app. I use, say, Nanocast to process payments. Nanocast sends uh, events to Drip. And when those events get sent, I can then trigger, uh, trigger you know, actions inside the software based on those things. So I suppose if you're in a software thing, you could say an you know, event could be visited the profile page or clicked the save profile button and it didn't save, you know, all these different things like that. Um, so active campaign was the, you know, was the other one I was thinking of. Got it. Okay. So what, what did you use before? Did you use Aweber? What, what did you use before? I was using Aweber. Okay. And you know, I probably signed up four years ago. And I just kept using it. It's, it's that, you know, I guess it's that lock-in. I think what's the there's a you know switching cost. Yeah, there's a switching the, cost. I just kept using it, man. I mean, I, I you know there's AW Pro Tools, which is sort of a plugin for Aweber that That's allows you to do some of the behaviors. You can do it, but it's really like it's clunky. Like it's yep. a bolt-on piece of software. It's not. Um, it's really not suitable. So I moved across to Drip so I could uh, get a lot more you know advanced with some of these you know some of these features and. You know, I could be happy. I would say though, if you're selling like information products, or you need a fully fledged CRM, you really need something more like you could use Infusionsoft or Entreport if you're, you know, just sort of like a small to medium business. If you're looking for like full, some really really big stuff, you'd be going for you know, say Market Marketo or Pardo or HubSpot would be another competitor in there as well. So this stuff gets really expensive really quickly. Um, that's the other side of it. For someone who's just getting started, you'd be good, you'd be fine with say Drip, or I'm not sure what customer or Intercom. But usually, you can get these things for say you know fifty bucks a month, hundred dollars a month for a really good piece of software. Okay. Now, on a scale of one to ten, what would ten being the best? What would you rate Aweber, and what you what would you rate Drip? Because now you have me interested. <laughs> well, Aweber, all Aweber does is you know you sign up and you basically it has. A sub- it's a subscriber-based system. It's not tag-based. So if you have someone on three lists, that, that means they appear in your database three times. And why that makes it hard is then you, you can't really track them properly because they're not they're not any, you know they're not um, they're, they're three times in your database. So you can't look at things like well, if they visited this site, how many times they visited. You can't do any of that stuff because Aweber just doesn't have that data because the way it's structured. Drip, it's the other way around. Anytime you can go into someone's contact details and look at what pages. I think you can probably look at what pages they visited on your site when they visited. Uh, what you know all that that sort of stuff. Uh, um, so Aweber, based on where I'm at now, probably say Aweber's like a three, and Drip, I'm thinking maybe an eight. And the only reason you'd want a nine or a ten is if you want some of the, you know, you want a fully fledged share and the desk payments and uh, all that sort of stuff. Wow. Okay. Well, see you later. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> um, no, I'm going to have to check out Drip um, for sure. That, that's a big actionable nugget for me. So, okay, now you moving back to the back end, um, especially for someone like me, and I remember you talking about a podcast, I was listening to your podcast yesterday, and it's just really hard to structure all this stuff out, right? When you when you have a back end, you, you know, you're moving people to upsell, and then there's downsells and things like that. How do you organize all of this? Like, what do you do? What's your process? 
Mm. I think um, over time you start to understand, you probably start to get it a little bit in your head. So each step in the funnel is the whole purpose of it is to get you to the next step in the funnel. A lot of people think that that you really want to move people like three steps ahead. So the emails are selling the product. What you want to do is each email sells the click. You know, each email the goal is to get them onto the page. The goal of the page is to get them onto the checkout page. The goal of the checkout page is to get them to put their credit card details and buy. And so we use you know email campaigns to make those things um, you know happen. So if someone visits the sales page doesn't buy, then we just say, hey, you visited the sales page, you didn't buy, click here to go finish. They visit the checkout page, if, you know, and they leave. We have you know what's called a card abandonment you know sequence, which goes out and say, hey, you visited our card abandonment sequence, you signed up, you were about to buy, but you bailed. What happened? You could even give them a discount there. So as far as how to like organize this, is let's say you've got three products, and you've got your website, and you've got uh, someone signs up, becomes a lead. I'm writing this out on paper just so I can uh, you know think about it while we're chatting. But so if someone signs up, and then it's just a case of you moving them step by step through the funnel. If they buy. Uh, you know, product number one. Uh, so they get emails about product number one, and if they buy product number one, they go into a sequence of product number two. Okay, so then you might have a flowchart. Yeah, I'm drawing that right now. You might have a flowchart that says, "All right, they sign up, and then you have an arrow towards one, which is product one. And if they say yes, they, you know, it's product one. They, you know, then they get an option for product two, and if they say yes, they get an option for product three. Now, if they say no, that's where the email is coming. So they, if they sign up and they say no to product one, uh, here we go, no, they will go into email sequence. And the goal of email sequence is to push them back to, to say yes to product one. And you're flow charting this all out right now, right? Yeah. So, I mean, the main thing is just to understand that, that if when they sign up and you offer them a product on that page, if they buy it, they go into the sequence for the next product. If they don't buy it, they go into a sequence for that product. I mean, writing it down in a flowchart can get a little bit messy, but the general idea, the big picture, is that each step of the funnel is only should only be about getting them to the next step. Got it. Okay, that that's, helps simplify it a lot. And, yeah, and then it's, and then it's good. And you bring in it's a bit like retargeting. Some of these email can't. If you think about it more like retargeting, maybe it makes it a little bit easier to understand. Because retargeting is if someone leaves your page on say, if you had a four-step funnel and someone leaves on step two, use retargeting to bring them back to step two. That's that's all we're doing with email. Got it. Okay, that makes sense. Yeah, for someone like me, you know, when I try to visualize it in my head, it just gets messy really quickly. But when you break it down, like it's just about getting them to the next step. That makes things a lot easier. So helpful for everyone to know. So yeah, around you, I have to ask you. You know, why why Thailand? What's oh, tell me about Thailand and your decision to move there? It uh, <laughs> well, I was in Sydney, uh, you know, for. I mean, four years ago now. I think. Yeah, almost almost four years ago, uh, in 2011, it was okay. I mean, I grew up in Sydney, but I guess I had I went to Nepal early 2011 and got a taste of the exotic. I don't want to tell me so much as travel, but because while I you know I live abroad and I travel a lot, I'm not you know I'm not traveling around every week or so, and that, I find that stuff exhausting. Mm-hmm. So I'm not really a traveler like that, but I definitely got a taste for for you know exotic life. So that was why I went and found myself a job in. In the Philippines and did the you know where I could do the marketing for a resort, live on the beach. Then it was just a case of where where can I go, which is going to have a great lifestyle. Now I have a business that I can live anywhere. I can go back home 
to Sydney if I wanted to, or I can go travel, you know, not necessarily travel, but just do other stuff. And it just, I thought it was so much more interesting and so much more fun to go, and, all right, well, let's go check out Thailand. I had a conference there in October 2012 to go to. And after that, I just had the decision. I would, you know, a few people went up to a place called Chiang Mai, which is about an hour north of Bangkok on the plane. It's up in the mountains. There's, uh, you know, elephants and tigers and, and, you know, tons of rivers. And, you know, I love uh, motorcycles. So there's lots of motorcycle riding up there. You can rent bikes and just go on these crazy road trips. It's an amazing spot. And so I, for me, and the attraction just was, Where's where am I gonna have, have the most fun? And so I got there, and I just loved living there. So I stay, you know, I've been there. I've been based there anyway. I'm in Vancouver right now, but I've been based there for three, more or less, based there for three years. Wow. Okay. Cool. Now it's 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 always good to hear about that. Um, and pretty much you get to set your own hours. It's it's um it's a good it's a good life, right? So why are you in in are you in Vancouver right now just for for like a short duration? Are you going back to Chiang Mai? How's that working out? Well, it's uh, I think. I've been thinking about it, right? So I was in – I left Thailand in end of February, went to Singapore to do some banking and then came over to – was on my way to the US. I came to the US to speak at a conference in uh, Austin, Texas. So I was there for about – I was there for about a month I think in the end and uh, after that decided I was – well, I had a plan to go to Whistler, right? So and then I booked a flight with some, you know, with some friends and the idea was we'd meet in Seattle and it was around the end of – it was about three or four weeks ago, about three weeks ago. And so I booked a flight to Seattle thinking, oh, I'll go to Whistler with these guys that, that weekend. Then after that, I ended up getting an invitation to an event on Necker Island with Richard Branson and 30 other people. And so when I decided to do that, when that opportunity came up, you know, I had to make a decision very quickly. When that opportunity came up, I said yes um, you know, almost straight away and then realized that if I, you know, to make it happen, you know, be, I'm going to be better off, things be wiser to actually go to you – know, just head up to van, you know, head, head somewhere and just work for the month. So I got to Seattle and uh, you know, the boys went off to Whistler and I stayed there for a few days just to have an explore and look around. Got some work done and then figured, all right, well, I'm kind of Vancouver. I don't know anyone there, so I can just get a place on Airbnb and, uh, you know, near the gym and, you know, basically work for the whole, you know, work for a month. So that's what I'm doing. I've got a, you know, crowd my guy gym around the corner. I've got uh, like weights gym. So all I've been doing is eating, lifting, training and working really and seeing friends. I've got a couple friends here once a week, mate. We're going to Whistler on, so we're going to do a day trip on, uh, to Whistler on Saturday. Ah, huh, interesting. We'll, we'll have a conversation about that after. Um, okay. So you have to tell me about this for a second. Uh, how did you get the opportunity to go to Necker Island, uh, Richard Richard Branson's island? Yeah. Okay. Okay. So what happened there was I've so I've been so you know you know about the podcast. I've had that for a while. Yep. That's almost two probably yeah coming up in two years soon. And I recently read a book called Bold by Peter Diamandis. I don't know if have you heard about it. Mm-mm. Okay, he's got two books called Abundance and, and Bold. And they're very much like uh, it's the start of his you know it's the start of his sales funnel to get you into. He has you know a university and a bunch of different stuff that he's doing. But these books are about uh, what he you know what you might call exponential technology, where you've got computers that are you know doubling he's doubling in speed and halving in cost every two years, something like that. Moore's law every eighteen months. And that's starting to happen in a lot of different fields with 3D printing and biotech and you know nanotechnology, all these different things, space even. And he makes a really good point in his books that we don't, we're terrible at understanding exponential technology. Our brains just aren't really wired for it. And so we, so he talks about these ideas and talks about how they're amazing, incredible opportunities to build businesses and create wealth. But it's also a great way to impact the world as well. So basically, I read a few of those books and got really, really excited and thought, well, if I was going to do something long term, I'd like to do something in that area, something just massive. I don't even know how I'm going to do it, but just something along those lines. It just sounded so cool to me. So I, but I, you know, I realized that I didn't know anyone who was doing that. Everyone I know has an internet business, works online, travels quite a bit, 
Uh, not, no one's really in that world. So I thought, well, I need to meet people uh, doing that. So you know, a friend of a friend turns out, I mentioned to one, I mentioned one friend, he told me out a friend of his that was building a space company. Uh, he's based in he's Singaporean, well, I think it was Sydney, like an Australian Singaporean, based in Sydney though. We got on the phone, we had a chat, we had a, did a podcast together, which you know, that's my, I use my way of connecting with people. Really is a way to connect with people. And uh, we did a podcast, that'll be out in a few weeks, I think just on, I think, you know, thinking big, expansion, thinking, that kind of thing. At the end, he says, oh, I'm going to Necker in, uh, in May to talk about this. going to have a great time and talk to Richard Branson. There'll be 30 other people there. He told me the whole story. And then at the end, I jokingly said, I'll see you there in three years. And then he says, well, I, you should, I expect to see you there before that. Um, I didn't think this was something I'd, you know, I'd even be able to do right now. Uh, but uh, he seemed to think it was a good fit. So I went and um, I, I sent my resume. I, I, had be, I had a CV. Basically, I'd apply. I don't know why I had the, the, the CV. The reason I had that was because I'd applied to a, a school called Singularity University, which was very, you know, the same. It's, it's not an actual university, but they teach uh, all about this exponential technology stuff. So I applied to that just to see what where that would go. And I needed a CV for that. That's Otherwise, I wouldn't even have a CV. Uh, but send sent the CV, my LinkedIn profile, over to over to you know this guy who told me about NECA. He sent it over to the, uh, the, chick, the lady who was organizing it. And uh, we spoke a month later and she says you're in. So that was how that came together. Wow. See, everything starts from the podcast, man. All these opportunities that you never would have thought of. So let's talk about that for a second. Um, you know, you've interviewed so many people, not just on email marketing, but just you know, marketing in general. And um, focusing specifically on email marketing, what are some consistencies you see from the best of the best in terms of you know, what drives their success? Mm, that's a good question. Hmm. I think I'm, you know one thing is that a lot of people look for you know tricks or hacks or you know you know templates even, and like the people who are really succeeding in because this is really a business question of you know how you know how and why some people are successful and others aren't. And uh, you know number one, the people who are successful are usually committed to excellence. So it's not about you know a quick hit. It's not about um, like just uh, like hacking something together it's about you know they've committed to making it work over the long term uh, number two is that it's not about it's not only about subject lines and 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 getting all fancy and hacking th- you know like uh looking for tricks um or the you know the best tactics and stuff it's more about understanding the strategy where you know connecting the uh, you know the subscriber with you know products that they want to buy like solving a very very real problem it's not just about you know setting up an email that's driving traffic at a landing page and you know selling some kind of product you know in your emails. You need a bit more, more understanding than that. So and on the other side of it is like you need to give away content. I used to think that that was a bad idea, the whole content marketing thing. Not that it didn't work. It's just that most people didn't understand how to use it. And while that's I think that's still somewhat true because there's a lot of people and there's a lot of content out there that no one makes any money off. Um, you do have to understand what you're putting out there, but a big part is value. You have to be giving value uh, in your in your marketing, not just your emails, but in your marketing. Otherwise, people will tune out. So I'd say those are the, the three main things. You need to be committed to excellence. You need to understand the overall strategy. And you need to uh, – now, what was the third one? <laughs> <laughs> you had Do you remember what the third one was? <laughs> you had commitment. You had strategy. Commitment to excellence. You need the strategy. Value. And you need to be – yeah, you need to be giving value. There you go. Yeah, you know, that's funny. I mean, like I just alluded to earlier, I mean, the, the podcast, I never had any expectations from it, but you get, you know, you get speaking engagements. People want you to appear on guest blogs for like, you know, good publications. Uh, you get clients from it too. It's just all these these benefits that you just, you know, wouldn't expect. And all you're doing is really giving value. I mean, j- yesterday I just got like a random thing saying, hey, 
Like, you know, I'm just starting in this industry. You've helped me so much, blah, blah, blah. And, you know, that stuff, you know, it, it's, it's very raw, raw, but it, it does warm your heart, right? So um, I, I think you hit the nail on the head. Yeah. I think you have to stay committed first and then the value. I mean, that's that's super important too. So yeah. yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Aside from the podcast, I mean, what else are you doing right now? What's one more unique thing that you're doing to, you know, bring in more customers? I think that's a good question because, right, like by the time this goes live, Be, this transition will probably be fairly either in the you know, underway or even complete. Is I've been working to refine the brand, and I mean that sounds kind of cheesy, you know, the whole branding, you know, the, brand, the whole branding thing. But basically, I've been going around calling myself the autoresponder guy for the last few years. The pro, and it worked, it's worked really well because anyone who needed an autoresponder or knew someone who needed an autoresponder would probably hear about me, you know, somewhere along the line on that. Um, it was a very easy message for people to pass on. But what I've realized, though, is that if you know what an autoresponder is, you probably, and this isn't to, to insult anyone, but if you know what an autoresponder is, you're probably at somewhere just getting started or you don't have much, you know, you just, you don't really value it very much. You don't see that, you know, you're not willing to spend much money. And by much money, I mean companies out there will spend $50,000, hundreds of thousands of dollars to set up, you know, marketing automation campaigns, which is really what we're talking about. Whereas people, when people think an autoresponder, they're going to spend, you know, a hundred bucks an email. People think is expensive. Okay, so there's a very different thing. Uh, different thing there. So the autoresponder is a feature word. So I basically built a brand, you could say, around a feature word of autoresponder. Whereas what people really wanted was a, was an automated marketing system, something like that, or marketing automation. You call it that. The problem too is I've realized that the more you know, depending on the expo the, the understanding of the market, if people are so in touch with the internet marketing market that they even know what an autoresponder is, they're probably too too small and not busy enough to be to really be a good client for me. You know, because and the way to explain it is to say, if you go take, say, a guy who's running a three million dollar company, he's been doing it for say five or ten years, could be even bigger, say a five million dollar company, and he's he's too busy to go and listen to a podcast about autoresponders. There's no way he's going to do that. He doesn't care about autoresponders. All he cares about is what sort of, what can he do to grow the business. So he probably doesn't even care about what Infusionsoft is, what marketing automation is, what any of that. What he really needs is someone smart like me or like you to go into his business, give him a call. And then explain to him what these things mean. So, I mean, another way to think about this, one uh, analogy that I like is that in the world, you know, think about the knowledge of autoresponders of the country. You know, imagine if we had a country where everyone in that country knew about autoresponders. Okay. And then we, what we did is we, we said, all right, well, this knowledge is pretty cool, but no one really, because everyone here knows it, it's not that special, it's not that valued. What if we took this same knowledge? And we went on some long, arduous journey across the ocean and through the mountains and, 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 and through the forest, all these different places, to this other land, the land where no one knows what autoresponders are. Because I bet if we could get there, they're going to think it's absolute magic. And if they think it's absolute magic, they're going to pay a lot more for it. And some people think, well, you, know, you can't really charge. You know, it's still only worth just as much as it was before. And it's like, no, it's not. You actually invested the time and the effort to actually go and take that, you know, what we might call the arduous journey, from the land where everyone knows about it to the land where no one knows about it. And you deserve to be – it's a lot harder. It's, it's, it's riskier. Uh, so that, therefore, the payoff. Well, the return for you needs to be, you know, the profit needs to be higher and commensurate with the, the investment that you're putting in. So what all that, you know, explanation really means is that I'm, the brand right on my business is transitioning from this whole autoresponding guy, we'll sell you emails thing, to into we're going to go and approach, find people who have no idea about what this stuff is and present, you know, present it to them as a solution. It allows us to help them a lot more because we're a lot more valuable to them because without us, they'd never even know about it. And then from our point of view, it allows us to charge a lot more as well. It's much more profitable. So that's the transition. That the, that's the big picture transition that the business is going through. And I've got a few you know, nitty-gritty ideas about what that's going to look like.
Got it. Yeah, that's super smart changing the messaging. I mean, it, it's almost the same as, uh, you know, a, a PPC agency or an SEO agency out there. I mean, those are all over the place, right? But when you position it where it's perceived as higher value, like the way you're, you're positioning it right now, I think uh, you're going to get bigger clients. So, uh, yeah, you know, good luck to you on that. Uh, you know, interesting, interested to see what happens uh, in terms of that case study. So cool, man. Um, tell us about one big struggle you faced while growing the business. One big struggle. Um, I think mindset. You know, I think, and this is going to be different for everyone. But my, I think my specific challenge was that you know I come. My background is that I come from a working class family. You know, dad's an architect, mom's a nurse. You know, no one's really a business person. So I never had a, a very up until I was probably twenty four or something like that. I never, uh, I never got really expo- exposed to these. Uh, how business worked, you know, how, I guess the mindset around how to grow a business, how to think about business, you know, that sort of mindset aspect. So I think my biggest challenge uh, has been wrestling with that idea. That's how, I, mean, I used to think that would have sound kind of silly, but I find like the nitty gritty of like what you actually have to do in business to, to make it happen. isn't that complex, but when it comes to um, the mind and you, you, know, you kind of struggle with yourself, I think I've struggled with myself about thinking there's like issues of self-esteem and self-worth. When you think, well, am I really worth this? Um, you know, especially with marketing, with consulting, or even getting going, like there's very much this, I think, this tendency to undervalue yourself. And I think everyone, many people in my position, you know, with some sort of skill that they're trying to sell, have that. Where it's a bit like, well, you know, it's only like I've often thought, well, I don't really want to charge. Emails aren't worth more than a thousand. You know, thirty bucks, twenty bucks an email was was the first job I did. I thought that was incredible that someone would pay that much, and they got up, got as high as a hundred or two hundred dollars an email, and then. You know, if on my left on my own, I never would have understood that it could be much, much higher than that. But it's not about the emails; it's really about the result. So I think the biggest—that's got to—that's it. I think that's the biggest challenge is is working through those mental battles and the issues with, like I said, self-worth and self-esteem in terms of like really getting through the, the crap to understand what the true value is of what I'm offering. Got it. Yeah, I love it, man. Um, yeah, I mean, I think all entrepreneurs will go through that uh, quote-unquote imposter syndrome every now and then and really challenge their self-worth. But I think you know everyone gets through it and, and deals with it. So uh, no, I think that's a good thing. Um, so what's the best way for people to find you online, John? Uh, the best way for people to find me online is probably going to be either on Twitter, which is uh, twitter.com slash it's John McIntyre underscore. So it's J-O-H-N-M-C-I-M-T-Y-R-E underscore. Or you can go to reengageat.com. Perfect. Thank you so much, John. John, this is super helpful. And um, yeah, hope to see you again. Thanks for having me, man. How many of you have experienced making a bad hire or had bad hires on your team? I personally lost over $840,000 on just one bad hire alone. So that's why I'm doing a free class called the five secrets to avoiding bad hires that can cost you $50,000 plus each. All you need to do is to text bad hire, spell it out, B A D. H-I-R-E to 33444. That's double three, triple four, and you'll be registered. I'll see you there. Thanks for listening to this episode of Growth Everywhere. If you loved what you heard, be sure to head back to growtheverywhere.com for today's show notes and a ton of additional resources. But before you go, hit the subscribe button to avoid missing out on next week's value-packed interview. Enjoy the rest of your week and remember to take action and continue growing.